Uh, let's give a huge round of applause for Chris. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Great. Thanks a lot. Okay. So thanks everyone for joining. Thank you for the intro. Uh, I'd like to start with a bit of a story. So what we want online learning to look like. It's probably something like this. This guy looks pretty happy. He looks engaged. Uh, looks pleasant. Unfortunately, I think this is the feeling that a lot of people might experience when they do online learning from time to time. It feels dry, it feels unmotivating, and I recently completed an online course that felt exactly like this. It was 80 or so short videos, little text write-backs that no one would ever look at. And that was a bit disappointing to me because it's not that it was from a bigger company, and it's not that that company doesn't know that this is ineffective for learning. It's just not very profitable to do it another way. And that's, that's maybe a sad reality, or it's not as easy to do it another way. So that made me think a lot about how could have this been better? It wasn't, it wasn't the content of the course. It was how it was put together, is what they were expecting of, of the learners. And so how could AI technologies improve online learning experiences. And that's something I find myself thinking about regularly. And I'm in a good place to do it, uh, because a little bit about ClanEd, it's a Finnish online learning experience platform. It's been developed with learning scientists, and it places things like social learning, collaboration at the core of learning experiences. And it also, uh, you know, in a very forward-thinking way, I think, seized onto the idea of data and analytics as incredibly powerful tools, as, especially as we move education and learning more and more into online sectors where we have more access to this, to this kind of information. So it's a good place to think about these things and play with these ideas and see how we could apply some of these new technologies to boost these things. What kind of analytics can we get out when we're starting to use more AI? What kind of experiences can we create? And how will they be better? How will they improve outcomes? How will they improve impact? And how will they improve efficiency? So it's just a quick slide of some of the projects we've been working on so you get a sense of who we work with. We work with NGOs. We work with some governments. We work with a lot of private sector. Uh, but I'll get back to this idea of how we how AI tools might help us. And I think there's basically sort of three tiers or three types of tools that we're going to start to see developed. And I just mentioned before things like uh, efficiency tools. I think these will probably be some of the first ones and things we're seeing. Uh, Impact-driven tools. These will probably take a little longer. And then what I think of as uh, disruptive tools. So... I've answered my own question already. So short-term tools, these are the first ones we're talking about. So you can already do some of this stuff with tools that exist like GPT. These are things that are going to basically improve the efficiency of people making courses and delivering content, let them do it faster, give them better ideas about it. So essentially we're talking about a uh, education-tooled chatbot. Um, and we're starting to see them already come out these are tuned for efficiency.
they will definitely make let us make those kinds of terrible courses that I experienced faster. But hopefully with the right tooling, they can also make them a little more interesting. The next set uh, are these what I'm calling midterm tools. So they're a little more complex. The first ones I'm envisioning as working for the, pe the teachers, the course creators, the people delivering content. These are targeted at learners. So these are things like a learner co-pilot, a chatbot that can uh, answer questions about particular content to you. But they'd go a little deeper. They might also be able to tune the content for a particular learner. They might be able to adjust the content based on, let's say, something like a location um, so that the learning becomes more personalized and more meaningful and ultimately is going to drive more motivation and have better outcomes. And the final level of tools is what I think of as these long-term tools. And these are going to take a lot of work, I think, to develop. They're the most complex, they're comprehensive, they're tuned to organizational and personal needs. And when I say disruptive, I mean that they have the potential to disrupt how we go about creating and administering learning and education. So this could be a sort of system that would be able to look at organizational goals, look at individual skill sets, and based on all of that, create training programs that are customized for a particular goal, particular outcome, and a particular learner. So I think with a little bit of imagination, you can all see what the benefit to education and learning this could create. It would mean not only are we able to educate people more quickly, when that's an important factor, we'd be able to deliver more personalized content, and we'd be able to link those educational experiences to outcomes and impact. So the way that I've been thinking about this whole story is, is like a narrative, because learning loves narratives. And where I see AI uh, in education, or particularly in online education, is sort of the denouement in the story of online learning. We've had online learning for 20 plus years. It's constantly been promising more democratized, more accessible, more personalized education. And it hasn't quite hit all of those points yet. So rather than AI being this new story in learning, I think it's really one of the things that can help bring this experience of online education to its sort of grand conclusion. And, you know, maybe the feeling we'll get from online learning in the future will be a little more like this. So, that's it for my talk for now. Uh, I look forward to any questions if you have them. We can connect later. You can find me online and you can connect with uh, Clanad. Let's give a round of applause for Chris. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, sir. All right, keeping the ball rolling. All right, your face featured. Well, hey, thank you both so much uh, for being here today. We know, you know, that artificial intelligence is becoming the torchbearer in addressing the world's most pressing concerns. So for the next 20 minutes, uh, I really wanted to sort of take a look at how AI is transforming the landscape of education and in some regards, uh, healthcare. Um, so let's just 
go right at it, right? Okay. So lifelong learning is uh, crucial in an ever-changing world, and AI is posed to play a significant role in this. Uh, Personalized uh, learning plans using AI have also been shown to improve learning outcomes uh, by as much as 50% um, in some cases. So in what ways can AI contribute to creating effective and adaptive lifelong learning solutions? And how can we tailor these solutions to accommodate uh, diverse goals and, and skill sets? It's a really complex question. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think, obviously, I mean, some of the, the tools I was mentioning are ways to develop personalized learning plans. Uh, you know, if you could sit there and talk to GPT or whatever it's called and say, you know, I'm interested in these things or I have these new career ambitions, uh, but I don't know how to go about them. And it can start to build a program for you to be informed. Maybe that's leading you to some other certification. Maybe that's helping you just build a sort of rapport in a particular, like a particular knowledge set. Um, I think that would be hugely motivational and helpful for people because I think sometimes it's just not that people aren't motivated. They just don't know where to find the resources or can't find one that suits them or fits them. Um, so there's a there's a huge potential there to to sort of start creating these systems and it comes with a lot of questions as well <laughs> like how much access we give them and stuff so yeah it's um it's doable but it's full of challenges mm. yes uh, i i agree and i think because uh, i work with prisoners uh, prisoners' educational background is usually very poor, so uh, they've had a lot of difficulties and a lot of neuropsychological problems that prevent them from learning uh, in a similar way that we do. So I think what you told in your presentation that how to make learning uh, easier, more inter interactive, more interesting, um, there's a lot of potential. And I and I think during incarceration, it's it's a good time to concentrate on, on um, self-development like learning and um, most uh, offenders have quit their studies at some point and have given up so they need a lot of support for learning during and are you seeing that products are being made to uh, adapt to the skill set of the user I think there's some that are starting to emerge like that but personally I haven't seen much that uh, is really quite at that level yet um, and I think that's partially just because this is so new um, you know like a year and a half ago nobody knew what GPT was uh, so I think a big part of it will just be time we're going to have to let some of these things out uh, people will need to experiment will need to collect feedback and see how it see how it develops what are people wanting and what is it delivering and can we find the point where those two things meet well, I mean, on the topic of sort of diversify or diverse skill sets, right? And the need to upskill and adapt existing workforce to modern AI tools and method is obviously uh, increasing at a rapid sure. at a rapid pace. Uh, it's estimated that fifty four percent of all employees will require significant reskilling and upskilling uh, by the by next year, right? Yeah. So, um, what what strategies and programs are most effective uh, for upskilling workforces um, in the use of modern AI tools, and and how can we make sure that these are accessible to to everyone? 
Well, you had you you showed those uh, courses. I've taken a few of those as well. They're the yeah. um, making the information available, uh, <laughs> promoting promoting the heck out of it. Um, using those efficiency tools, perhaps <laughs> turning out turning out courses courses on AI faster with the help of AI might be one way. And Pia, how, is, how would this relate mm, to... Yeah, I was thinking that you said that uh, this uh, this upscaling of scales considers the normal population, thinking about then prisoners who are much more behind of it. You have to start with the very basics. And, and I'm very glad that we are able to provide at least courses by Helsinki University on AI. I think that's a, that's a good beginning for, for anyone to start with... Uh, uh, learning, learning, and developing your AI literacy, and and so on. So, as you saw, the prisoners' answer was it's uh, something like uh, outer space mm. <laughs> for many of us. So, is the learning curve quite grand uh, within the prison system? Uh, you mean there's a big difference between uh, prisoners' uh, skills? And, Correct. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a challenge. And what you told about personalized learning is def definitely what prisoners would need, that we have a very, very poor segment. And then we, on the other hand, we might have very skilled uh, learners and uh, very, uh, prisoners with very uh, high digital skills that they cannot use during prison time. So they should be also given opportunity to do something meaningful with their skills during imprisonment and upscale in this way. Is it, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I might add to that, that, that I think the, the personalized thing can be extended kind of everywhere because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like when we say, oh, you know, the, the workforce is going to need upskilling just across the board, everyone needs to understand AI. Okay, that's true in a very sort of narrow definition of it. There are so many different sectors in every business. And yeah, they, they all may have varying degrees of impact from AI, but... You know what the the engineers need in training is going to be very different from what let's say the the sales team needs or the analyst needs in training. So these personalized learning paths and figuring out, uh, you know, what's essential for people to know and be able to work with, and what is you know maybe optional or can be done later, is going to be a big part in that that upskilling task. But even sort of a basic um, introduction to it, right, will make AI less scary, right? Yeah. <laughs> less like the demon in the room that's coming for our jobs. Or um, so um, I'm, I'm going to totally shift gears here. And 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 we we know that AI is uh, holds promise when addressing uh, healthcare uh, disparities, right? And so, but it's a concern that could it could also exacerbate them. Uh, studies have shown that AI can help reduce. Uh, healthcare service delivery gaps by 45% in underserved uh, populations. So what strategies should be implemented to ensure that AI contributes to healthcare equity uh, rather than creating further uh, disparity? Again, that's a really super complex question. And I think it really depends on, in some cases, where we're talking about. You know, we have we have the ability to make rules here in Finland. Uh, about how, let's say, technology is rolled out and who has access to it. Um, the same is not true everywhere. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not a policymaker, so I don't know that I have a, a solution or, or even an idea of how you could limit disparity. 
but I think that generally the outcomes of these tools is uh, increases in efficiency. And so maybe it's deployed differently in different levels. There probably will be several tiers of service. But if the base outcome tends to be an increase in efficiency, then perhaps that's like a net positive. Uh, you know, if it's able to diagnose more people, base, base diagnosis, uh, that might be one thing we're able to employ something like AI and a, and a self-survey quiz to diagnose your, you know, do you need to go to the doctor? So perhaps that helps some equity and and uh, keep it on the side of positive impact. Have you worked with any um, projects that have sort of addressed this this issue? Uh, well, I know that some some prison systems already use this, and I think it's because the situation is the, is like in Finland that there is a staff shortage in prisoner healthcare and a staff uh, turnover. And on the other hand, prisoners' needs are very high, considering uh, substance abuse problems, psychological problems, physical problems. So something that could speed up and fasten uh, healthcare workers' uh, daily processes, management of patient information information might be very beneficial, maybe even some predictive uh, analytics to help with diagnosing and, and finding the best suitable treatments and predictive predictive healthcare too. There's always, you know, when we, when we talk about equity, there's always the, the possibility of uh, there being entire part of the populations that are underserved, right? Uh, if only data is being given by uh, white men of age 30 to 50, there are then, um, you know, women who will be misdiagnosed or those of different ethnicities. Um, and so where do we, where do we sit on that? What, you know, what can be done to make sure that um, these types of, you know, um, problems don't if, if we're going to lean more and more on, on, on AI, right? And, and there are also, I, I've sort of read somewhere that uh, doctors will um, get a diagnosis and then sort of think about it. And 45% out of the time, they're changing their opinion, right? But if we're saying that there's a sort of labor shortage there uh, already, um, where is the sort of human side of AI in, in healthcare? How can we ensure that doctors are... Um, not just sort of taking what could be uh, generally maybe wrong information based on the data that was put in. Doctors should be trained on AI too. And, and remember that it doesn't uh, take away their expertise or, or the need for their expertise. So as I said in my presentation that AI is a tool for experts, but it's it's not supposed to replace our uh, expert analysis and, and the human supervision should be always part of uh, ana analyzing um, especially vulnerable marginalized populations because the risk uh, for, for misusing AI is especially uh, uh, risky in those cases. Let's go back to uh, digital literacy. Um, so AI, 10% uh, of uh, digital literacy programs are currently tailored for marginalized populations, such as prisoners. Uh, so what role can AI play in enhancing uh, digital literacy for these groups? And, and how do we ensure that these technologies remain um, accessible and inclusive? 
Well, I think the efficiency thing comes in in here. Um, the efficiency in the sort of the the threshold level of effort needed to let's say create trainings because that's what this is coming down to. It's like, are there programs for these people? Well, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of uh, resources to make a, a good, effective training program, and then then you also have to run it. So if if we can just increase the the efficiency at which they're made and reduce that sort of overhead cost or the investment of creating these things and uh, rely on some uh, AI co-pilot support for managing and administering them, I see that just as expanding access. That's to me seems you, you can create more, you can get more out there and you can manage it more easily than, you know, one person can now do the work of what 10 would do. So it might just be about setting the expectation to to keep producing uh, programs and making them accessible. Yeah, I agree. So, well, first of all, with prisoners, it's the, the question of provi providing devices to prisons, which was the first step in our projects. And then I agree that uh, if you want to make make a good learning program, you you have to invest on it and have the expertise. And in prisoners' case, uh, it's a good idea to provide self-learning uh, platforms. But usually uh, these kind of populations like prisoners, they also need the personal assistance so uh, combining these two is important, I think. And what are some of the platforms that you're seeing now that are really sort of addressing, you know, this this issue and, and helping with, what are your favorites? <laughs> oh, favorites of just the tools that are out there yeah, right yeah. now. Uh, I'm a big fan of GPT. It, it uh, especially the uh, the new model is quite powerful and can do some pretty impressive things. Um, linking them up is pretty cool as well if you if you get into agents or something like that and then you can ask it to you know make me a, a slide deck on this topic and tailor it for for a prison population or for for a medical population and of course you're still going to need to go over it but you can you can link them up auto gpt is a fun one yeah we haven't yet been able to use ChatGPT in prisons, but uh, as I said, we rely a lot uh, on NGOs since Finland has a long tradition of using NGOs in prisons. So their work is very valuable as, uh, to us. Uh, we often cannot provide that kind of service that they can provide and, and their expertise in, in educational and learning uh, platforms has been very valuable. So before we open to to Q&A, hopefully there are some burning questions uh, in the audience. Uh, my my colleague Hari will have the, the or maybe Etu will have the, the microphone. Uh, we're recording, so just if you have a question, please make sure to speak into the mic. Um, what's what's next? Where do you see? Uh, let's 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 think sort of big picture uh, utopian society. <laughs> where 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 is where is AI and how is it affecting education and healthcare in the next five years? Uh, well, what I would really like to see, what I'm what I'm really eager for, is um, some kind of LLM AI model that is um, tuned with an educational bias. Uh, so it's given you know a huge bunch of prompts beforehand that deal that relate to educational science, learning science, uh, and it's you know 
whether through weights or some other mechanism, it's tuned to kind of take that information into account whenever it's giving an output based on an education question. So then you're, what you're essentially doing is importing the some knowledge of educational science into the system and asking it to think from that perspective. We don't have those yet. That would be, uh, in, in my opinion, a, a huge step forward in the realm of education and AI. Yeah, I, I think in prison and probation service, we are still uh, a little bit too much on a so-called project level. So we have a lot of project, we have tested many, many solutions, we have implemented uh, some solutions to some units, but not everywhere. So I would like to broaden the concept and, and make it available to everyone in, in, in prison units. But uh, that will certainly take time. <laughs> All right, does anyone have a question from the audience? Thank you so much. Oh, that was loud. Uh, well, I want to ask about privacy and data, because that's obviously a pretty big one. But when we talk about healthcare and we talk about prison system, I'm just imagining like this, you know, the movie Minority Report, you know, that the computer knows before you even do, before you do a crime or, or maybe you'll get a cancer or whatever. So I'm thinking that how does that, when we are, creating these learning models and we are giving data that the, uh, um, it's analyzing you to be able to teach you or diagnose you uh, what kind of opinions you have on the privacy issues uh, on the individuals using them and how that is being used and do you have some use cases on that? Well, I think the ethical guidelines by the Council of Europe have a lot to do with this question. And I think this is also one point why we maybe haven't proceeded that fast in prison system as in many other areas of society, that we have to consider even more carefully questions that everybody is thinking about. Uh, in in uh, prison and probation services, Asian countries are most advanced in using digital solutions in prisons. But I think that is partly because they don't have the same kind of privacy um, policies that we have in Europe. They don't have the same GDPR uh, that would um, uh, put barriers. So probably they will benefit from somewhere. But on the other hand, I think... Uh, in this case, is it's better to be uh, more careful, at least in the beginning of our projects, at this point. Yeah, yeah I'm a. a that's a completely valid point. In in my world, I'm don't really think about it. I'm a bit of a information anarchist, and like mm. they already have most of my data, anyways. So just take it all. <laughs> I, <I'm, laughs> just go for it. I, yeah, we had another question up front. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been really interesting for I'm just curious to know, Pia and Chris, how do you use AI in your daily work? Could you give us some examples? Sure thing. Yeah, I use it uh, for a lot of things. Uh, it started off with uh, drafting formal company emails and getting some, you know, email template things. That was that was an early use. Um, I'll use it to support uh, article writing all the time. Uh, if I've got to write on a topic, I'll get the ideas out and then ask for feedback and points and work with it just like another. Uh, and I use it, uh, I'm, I'm 
playing and and pushing with it a lot to see how I can get it to uh, give me pedagogical uh, outputs. Uh, so if I'm asking it, I need to structure a training in this way, these people, what kind of ideas do you have about that? So, you know, you can iterate five potential designs really, really quickly, template sort of type things, and then, you know, you can offer those as, as a use for someone or suggest they use it or build off of it. So I, I'd say that I use it in 70, maybe 75% of my task at this point, even if it's just to ask a question and proofread. Uh, but yeah, I just treat it like a person that, that I can ask anything to. Yeah, pretty much same here. So chat GPT for presentations, for example, articles, uh, also um, for translation from Finnish to English, to look for definitions of different terminology, legislative uh, issues since I'm working at the prison and probation service, so all kinds of things. Do we have another question? Uh, right up front. Yeah, I could be curious to hear like from your point of view, like in your own context, what do you see as the biggest challenge in front of the personalization? People are wary, and I think businesses are wary as well. Um, if you if you know showed up tomorrow and said like, "Look, we've got this great new system. You just tell it what sort of training program you need to build, and it's gonna it's gonna spit out a training program." One, the the systems aren't there yet. It's not gonna do that very well. You need someone to check it. But even if it did do it really well, I think um, a lot of especially when there's when there's uh, business involved when there's when there's money on the table um, people are hesitant to accept the new technology I think everyone's very hyped about it and at the same time very like can I trust this will I get return on that investment um, so I think we have a lot of work to do proving proving that this this can work yeah, definitely. And I think uh, in a prison setting, uh, prison is a high security environment. So security always comes first. So even even in the small things like uh, uh, bringing internet connection, restricted internet connection to inmates was a huge barrier first to cross and, and justify that uh, we need to do this and we need to test this. Do we have one more? We have time for one more if there is one more. Okay, hey, let's give a huge round of applause to uh, Chris and Pia. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.